0: Brett McGarry, this week on The Couch Potatoes, Cineplex and Landmark Cinemas were among the countless organizations that had to close their doors in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic, which means if you want to watch a movie, it's gonna have to be at home.
1: I'm Jeff Braun and yeah, if you're stuck on the couch, why not take comfort with a comfort movie? We'll run down a bunch of our faves. And another amazing
0: episode of Survivor Winners at War, with two stunning eliminations. So the first thing we need to point out is that because of COVID-19, Jeff and I are not in the same room. I'm in
1: the studio at the radio station, and Jeff, you're at home. I'm at home. We are social distancing ourselves away from each other. And uh, for maybe the first time in Couch potatoes history, I will literally be doing our show on my couch.
0: <laughs> That's right. And so there is going to be a delay between the two of us. There's about a two-second delay that, unfortunately, we can't seem to do anything to fix. And there's probably going to be times where we're tripping over each other, but we're going to try to... Hey, this is our maiden voyage doing this We've been doing this show for like, what, 15 years, Jeff? And it's the first time that we've had to do the show this way So we'll see what we can do But Jeff, why don't you start us off with one of your favorite
1: comfort movies Well, it's funny that you said maiden voyage Because uh, the first one I want to talk about today is Titanic As she goes down by the head The water
0: will spill over the tops of the bulkheads E D-deck from one to the next Back and back There's no stopping it the pumps if we open the doors. the door, pumps right. by your time but minutes only from this moment no matter what we do
1: titanic will found her. but this ship can't see she's made of iron sir i assure you she can and she will
0: it is a mathematical certainty
1: i used to hate this movie i was one of those guys back in 1997 We'll go on and on about how overrated it was, how the dialogue sucked, all the rest of it, and now I still think a lot of the dialogue sucks, but I love Titanic. Now let's get the dialogue complaint out of the way first, because it's just so wooden right across the board. Billy Zane knows it's wooden, and he has fun with it, he's of course the big heel in this movie. Kate Winslet can pull it off better than anyone else involved, but even she has her cringy moments. And you get that with these control freak directors, James Cameron's one of them, George Lucas of course is most famous for it, but he's a good excuse, no one gave a hoot about the first Star Wars while he was making it, so no one was telling him what to do, and then, you know, Star Wars was the biggest hit of all time, so certainly no one was telling him what to do when he made anything that came after that which is why I get the bad dialogue in the Star Wars movies, and no one really cared, and same goes for Titanic. It's an epic, amazing movie on every single other level, so the dialogue is easily forgiven. Although, there's a voice in my head that always thinks, come on, James Cameron, it would not have killed you to let someone else take a crack at that dialogue. The love story, of course, is nothing new. It's people from different walks of life falling in love, but it's serviceable enough, and it's that looming iceberg that makes the first half of the movie so eerie. These poor people have no idea what awaits them. And then of course, once Titanic hits a bird and starts going down, it is sheer spectacle it is still amazing i would say from the point where the band comes back and they keep playing all the way to the end of the movie that part is just a flat-out masterpiece i can't look away it still blows my mind i gotta think about boats that'll come up again later in the show uh i own the blu-ray but i like titanic more when it's on tv somehow it's like how your favorite song just sounds better on the radio and on tv with commercials it's like five hours long but i can just let it buck in the background on a weekend afternoon while i'm cleaning the house or whatever I can even have a nap at some point before the ship hits the iceberg, and once that happens, I'm just in it to win it all the way to the end.
0: All right, so Titanic leading off with Jeff Braun's list, and when I was thinking about my list, the first movie that came to mind was this one: The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves—Earth's Mightiest Heroes type thing. I have an army. We have a Hulk. because more often than not this is the comfort movie that I turned to but I didn't want this segment to be the movies that I always referenced The Avengers The Matrix uh, Lord of the Rings I just recently plowed through those three movies so I went home I looked at my at my library and I realized you know what I'm gonna start with this one from 1996 the following is a state secret gentlemen disclose it to any party and you will be subject to prosecution. John Mason, a British national, incarcerated on Alcatraz in 1962, escaped in '63. There's no identity in the United States or Great Britain. He does not exist. Secrets have a way of coming back to haunt you. There's a hostage situation on Alcatraz. Hostage. 81 tourist. The Rock's a tourist attraction. The Rock, starring Nicolas Cage, Sean Connery, and directed by Michael Bay. Jeff, have you seen this movie?
1: I have seen that movie. I saw it in theaters in 96, in the first row, and I was—I got nauseous. I almost threw up.
0: <laughs> well, hey, it's directed by Michael Bay, so he does have that effect. Uh, Nicolas Cage plays an FBI sort of biochemical expert. He's a, he's a lab geek, but he gets into the fray when a bunch of military guys go rogue. They steal a bunch of warheads and arm them with this just lethal VX gas and they take over Alcatraz and hold all the tourists hostage. So Nicolas Cage has to work with Sean Connery who plays a British national who was locked up and the key was thrown away because he knew all of their dirty secrets and The movie led to this classic line. You sure you're ready for this? I'll
1: do my best. Your best? Losers always whine about their best. Winners go home and f*** the prom queen. Carla was the prom queen. Really?
0: Yeah. Now, it's funny you mentioned couldn't James Cameron get someone to come in and punch up Titanic? Because word on the street is Quentin Tarantino was brought in to help punch up the script for The Rock. And everyone always craps on this next particular line of dialogue, but I love it. I think we got started off on the wrong foot, Stan speed, FBI, uh, let's talk music. Do you like the Elton John song, Rocket Man? I don't like soft-ass Oh, you know, well, I only bring it up because, uh, it's you. You're the rocket man. Works. And he shot the guy with a missile. And I love it. I just watched this movie again recently, maybe like three weeks ago. It still holds up. It is a ton of fun. And it is easily one of Michael Bay's best movies. I know the both of us have dumped on Michael Bay a lot over the years. Uh, but The Rock, I think I think it's his best movie by far. What's next for you, Jeff?
1: Uh, next for me is something, I guess it's the complete opposite of The Rock. It's called Shakespeare in Love a voyage to a new world. A storm. All her lust. She lands on a vast and empty shore. She is brought to the Duke. Orsino.
0: Orsino? <laughs> Good name.
1: But fearful of her virtue, she comes to him dressed as a boy.
0: And thus is unable to declare her love.
1: But all ends well. How does it? I don't know. It's a mystery. I take so much crap for loving this movie, but I don't care and I'm not embarrassed or ashamed. And like in so many cases, I think most of the people who poo-poo Shakespeare in love haven't even seen it. They hear the word Shakespeare and they're just out. They've got Bad memories of miserable English classes having to learn Shakespeare. I get that, but that's why the movie was such a pleasant surprise, because it's not stuffy like that. It's not even really pretentious, although there is a lot of Shakespearean language, but it's turned into weird, clever wordplay, and there's a lot of lowbrow-type language, too. Uh, One of Roger Ebert's best ever bits of wisdom, and he always had a bunch, was uh, to quote, it's not what the film is about; it's how the film is about it. Basically, saying you don't have to be a fan of whatever the subject matter is to like a movie about it. A good movie is a good movie. Most recently, for example, something like Ford versus Ferrari. I don't know jack about car racing. I would never watch it on TV, but I love that movie. Same goes for Shakespeare in Love. There's comedy. There's romance. There's even some action. A couple of good fights, and it's really well made. It also clips along quickly, and then, like a sports movie, there's a sort of a big game at the end. Uh, Quick synopsis because I know people haven't seen it because they keep telling me that. Joseph Fiennes plays William Shakespeare. He's trying to write a new play for the theater troupe he works for in London. He meets and falls in love with Viola played by Gwyneth Paltrow who wants to be an actor. She can't though because girls weren't allowed on stage in those times so she pretends to be a boy to get the acting job. Only Shakespeare knows who she really is. Um, She's also supposed to marry Colin Firth. He's the bad guy. Again she has no choice in that because that's how the times were. So as all this is playing out. It inspires Shakespeare to write Romeo and Juliet, and we watch him write it in real time. And there are all sorts of parallels between the play he's writing and the events of his life in this movie with Gwyneth Paltrow. And for the people who actually like Shakespeare, there's a ton of Easter eggs and stuff. I'm sure there are many I've never noticed because I am not a Shakespeare scholar. Great characters, great performances. There's a slew of actors, a uh, slew of actors, including uh, Paltrow and Judy Dench well, won Oscars. And Judy Dench she plays the queen. She's only in it for eight minutes of screen time, but she still won an Oscar for it. And the big game at the end is like a 25-minute sequence where they finally stage the play Romeo and Juliet for the first time ever. The ending is a bit of a bummer but so is the ending of Romeo and Juliet. That's probably another strike against it for the detractors. And I think the backlash has to do with that Oscars win. Um, it was a surprise winner over Saving Private Ryan for Best Picture. A lot of people were mad about that. I think a lot of people still are mad about that. But I think the right movie won. I watched Shakespeare in Love twice a year, like Clockwork. It's just a fun world to visit. It's, it's kind of a comic romp for the most part. And it's also my favorite non-John Williams soundtrack ever.
0: All right, and up next, I've got a British movie that's a little bit of a contrast to Shakespeare in Love. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Next up for me, from 2007, Hot Fuzz.
1: Sergeant Nicholas Angel. Expert in hand-to-hand combat, armed response, and high-speed pursuit. He was so good assigned him. Right. You've been making us
0: all look bad. There's one thing you haven't taken into account, and that's what the team is gonna make
1: of this. Statistically, Sanford is the safest village in the country. Now, this big city car. You
0: ever fired two guns whilst jumping through the air?
1: No. You ever fired one gun whilst jumping through the air? No. Must learn.
0: Is it true that there is a place in a man's head that if you shoot it, it will blow up? How to think small.
1: Morning, the swans Escape. The swans
0: Escape. Can you describe it to me? About two foot tall. Yep. Uh, long, slender neck. <laughs>
1: That's just going to scare him. My, my, here come the fuzz.
0: Hot Fuzz is such a wonderful action comedy starring Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, directed by Edgar Wright. They actually did three movies. There was Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and then At World's End. Uh, This was the sort of middle leg of that unofficial trilogy. And it's just, it's a great action comedy unto itself. It's a great send-up of other action comedies, and the way that they manage to, like, create one story where he thinks he's solved the crime and he's got all of the hidden meaning, but it turns out the real meaning is far more ridiculous, but still makes just as much sense, is honestly one of the most brilliant story bait-and-switches I've ever seen in a movie. So if you've never seen Hot Fuzz, I highly recommend it. It's one of those movies I put on if I'm in a bad mood and just need something familiar. Hot Fuzz cheers me up every time, although I do need to watch it with subtitles because I can't understand what half of the people are saying
1: because British. So there you go, Hot Fuzz. All right, next on my list, uh, we're going back into the water for Jaws. Show me the tank.
0: Show
1: me the tank. Is Jaws a horror movie? It often gets thrown in as one, but I would call it more of a thriller, I think. It's one of several masterpieces from Steven Spielberg. And while it's one of the finest pieces of cinema ever created, it's also just plain fun. First half of the movie, a shark hunts humans along the shoreline of Amity Island. Second half of the movie, the humans hunt the shark. The second half's more exciting, which is how a movie should flow, I guess. But the first half has a lot of pretty exciting scenes as well. And I just love the setup, getting to know the townspeople and all that. The three main characters, of course, are Roy Scheider's chief Brody, uh, Richard Dreyfuss as Hooper, he's the marine biologist, and then the late great Robert Shaw as Quint, the old grizzled sailor who takes them shark hunting. The other great character in Jaws is the mayor, played by Murray Hamilton, He's almost as big a villain as the shark because he wants to keep those beaches open and make a buck. And he's still the mayor in Jaws too. How'd he get reelected after all those people died? I don't know. Like I said, I love a good boat movie. Being out at sea is fascinating to me, I guess, because I'm a... Prairie Boy in the end. A good shark movie, though, is harder to come by than a good boat movie. A lot of bad shark movies out there. Uh, There's nothing that's been on the level of Jaws, I don't think. Hopefully, The Meg 2 will be awesome, but I'm not going to get my hopes up on that one. Um, And almost as good as the movie Jaws is the story of the making of Jaws. It was a troubled production, to say the least, but everyone was laughing about it later. If you've never seen it, I highly recommend the two-hour making of documentary that's on the Blu-ray. of the edition from 2012, part of the Universal Studios 100-Year Series. It's on there. So, yeah, I go to Jaws every time, Brett. I, 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 like to, I like to watch it once a year. And if it's on TV, again, it just stays on. and I can just watch that all day.
0: Yep, it is an all-time classic. I love Jaws. It's really the, I think it's pretty much the, the first blockbuster, right? Like, Jaws kind of changed the way that movies were released, the way that movies were made. If not for yeah. Jaws, the landscape, or the seascape, I suppose, in this case, would be far different.
1: It really was, and uh, coming up a little bit later in the show, another one from Spielberg that, again, was just a game-changer. I mean, that's why that's why everyone knows the name Steven Spielberg. He, you know, so many times he's put out a movie that just changed everything, and Jaws is the first one.
0: Up next on my list, one of the happiest movies ever made. Maybe. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett, he's Jeff, we are The Couch Potatoes. We are counting down our favorite comfort blanket movies, so to speak, because Cineplex, landmark cinemas... They're closed because of COVID-19, so that got us thinking, well, hey, if we want to watch movies, we got to do it at home. Why not watch something familiar? You know, life is overwhelming right now, so maybe something fun, something happy, something that makes you feel good. And next up for me, as far as I'm concerned, is the benchmark for psychological thrillers. And I know I just said something fun, something happy, but let me explain in a moment. This one's from 1995, starring Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt seven they're caught in a game
1: no fingerprints and no witnesses of any kind
0: nope about the only thing we know about that guy right now is he's totally insane where the price of sin is death. there are seven deadly sins gluttony you're gonna come take a look at this greed
1: no one touches anything
0: sloth wrath pride lust and envy seven you can expect five more of these So when I first thought about this, you know, putting together this list, I thought, you know, Seven is one of my all-time favorite movies, but it's hard to consider a movie about a serial killer who commits unspeakable atrocities a comfort blanket movie. But the more I thought about it, I realized... I actually do turn to this movie quite often, so I changed my definition of a comfort blanket movie to include the fact that maybe sometimes you don't need something happy, but sometimes you need something familiar. And I've watched this movie so many times, I love it so much, so even though it's not a happy movie, it makes me happy when I watch Seven. Give me your gun. What's going on over there? Put the gun I'll down.
1: i saw you with a box. was in the
0: box? Because I envy your normal life. Put the gun down, David. It seems that envy is my sin. oh
1: what's in the box? Not until you give me the what's gun. What's in the f-ing box? Give
0: me the gun. He just told
1: you. You lie! You're a f***ing liar! Shut up!
0: How could that not make you happy, hey, Jeff?
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, that's uh, two for Gwyneth Paltrow already today. Oh, wow. Yeah, look at that. Because she was... Yeah, whatever. All right, and now, hold on to your butts. We're going to Jurassic Park. You feel that? I love Jurassic Park. A billionaire finds a way to clone dinosaurs, set them up at attractions at a theme park, then they get out and terrorize the humans. How can that not be fun? Uh, I still kick myself for missing it in theaters. I was 17 when it came out. Too cool for school, I guess. I don't know. I thought it was a kid's movie or something. A year later, a friend of mine was aghast when she found out I had not seen it. It was literally a case of, you haven't seen Jurassic Park, Jeff? No. Seriously? Yeah, I have not seen it. We're going to Blockbuster we literally went immediately rented it and I watched it two hours later I'd seen it Steven Spielberg was really tapped into the world's imagination for like 20 years there and always knew exactly what would have the best effect unlike Jaws where not seeing the shark was what made it so thrilling Spielberg knew a movie about dinosaurs let's see some dinosaurs a big reveal as soon as everyone gets to the park with the brontosauruses or whatever they're called and then of course there's that T-Rex attack which is the centerpiece of the movie that's a clinic of tension and suspense and the CGI still holds up, and the movie really was the game-changer when it came to CGI. It had never been on a scale that big before, and we never looked back since. And then, of course, there's the final act with the Raptors. Again, game-changer for Raptors. No one outside of hardcore dinosaur nerds had ever heard of a Raptor before Jurassic Park, and then you know a year later, there's a basketball team named after them. So, I don't know. Jurassic Park, I find it's especially good to also have it on the background because if you're just in the mood for action, you can drop in, you can drop out of it, I'll often go to my phone when there dinosaurs are dinosaurs on turn screens or the Jeff Goldblum isn't on screen, but I, I can I, I'll never say no to Jurassic Park. But.
0: Next up for me from two thousand one, Ocean's Eleven. Please state your name for the record.
1: Daniel Ocean.
0: You have been implicated in over a dozen other confidence schemes and frauds. What do you think you would do if released?
1: I don't know. How much do you guys make a year?
0: never been done before you want to knock over a casino three casinos you gotta be nuts
1: exactly this place houses a security system that rivals most nuclear missile silos smash and grab job huh slightly more complicated than that oh yeah you'd need at least a dozen guys doing a combination of cons 10 ought to do it don't
0: you think you think we need one more What a great movie, a heist comedy caper with a stellar cast including George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Julia Roberts, Matt Damon, Bernie Mac, Don Cheadle, Elliot Gould, Andy Garcia, Casey Affleck, Scott Kahn and Carl Reiner. There was a sequel in 2004, Ocean's 12, and a threequel in 2007, Ocean's 13. Then the sort of reboot Ocean's 8 in 2018 with an all female cast of crooks. And don't forget, the 2001 version was itself a remake of the 1960 movie starring the Rat Pack. But the 2001 remake is the gold standard of this series. And by the way, Jeff, that makes two for Brad Pitt on this list because of this and seven. And I should also point out, and I can never remember the the actor's name, the guy who played Dr. Cox on Scrubs. You know the actor's name? Uh, nope <laughs> But I know what you mean <laughs> I can't think of it off the top of my head And we can Google that in a second But I just realized He was also in Seven And The Rock He played the, the leader oh. of the SWAT team in Seven And he was one of the military grunts in The Rock So he's obviously not as high on the, the marquee in those movies But yeah, so we've, we've got Gwyneth Paltrow Dr. Cox and Brad Pitt Making two appearances on our list so far Why do this?
1: Because the house always wins Unless when that perfect hand comes along, you bet big and then you take the house. Been practicing this speech a little bit. Did I rush? It felt like I rushed. That was good. It. I liked it. John C. McGinley. That's the actor's name. Number one on my list. The one I always go to. People that listen to Couch Potatoes on a regular basis have heard me fawn over it for years. It's the Fugitive.
0: Listen up, ladies and gentlemen. Our fugitive has been on the run for ninety minutes. Average foot speed over uneven ground barring injury is four miles an hour. That gives us a radius of six miles. What I want out of each and every one of you is a hard target search of every gas station, residence, warehouse, farmhouse, henhouse, outhouse, or doghouse in that area. Checkpoints go up at 15 miles. Your fugitive's name is Dr. Richard Kimball. Go get
1: him. The Fugitive is just a fun movie. It's actually, it's like two movies happening at once. There's this cat and mouse chase movie with U.S. Marshal Tommy Lee Jones hunting down Harrison Ford, a doctor who everyone thinks has killed his wife, and then there's the mystery or detective story of Harrison Ford trying to actually solve his wife's murder to clear his own name. Tommy Lee Jones, of course, is the real treatise phenomenal. This is, I think, the movie where everyone really took notice of him, and he won an Oscar for it. And The future have actually really began the trend of reboots, remakes, and, you know, generally dredging up every piece of old IP and turning it into a new movie or TV series that we... S- enjoy slash suffer through today. So if you want to give credit or blame to The Fugitive, I think that's where it started.
0: All right, the last one I want to mention is this. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Doc. Uh, Are you telling me that you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? Back to the Future, the all-time classic time travel movie from 1985 starring Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd. Great Scott, (laughs) You've got a real attitude problem, McFly. You're a slacker. You remind me of your father when he went here. He was a slacker, too. Whoa, this is heavy. There's that word again. Heavy. Why are things so heavy in the future? Is there a problem with the Earth's gravitational pull? The sequels are alright, Back to the Future 2 and 3, but this first movie is... ingrained in my brain. And yet, I can watch it every single time, and it feels new every time. It feels fresh every time. It always... The the clock tower, is he going to plug it in in time? It gets me every time, Jeff. It's so tense.
1: I don't like watching that part. <laughs> I still don't like watching that part. It's too tense. Yeah. Same with the raptors in the kitchen in Jurassic Park. Yeah.
0: So there you go. Those are our top ten comfort movies. And like I said, I mentioned The Avengers. You had a couple of uh, quick honorable mentions
1: too, right? And honestly, two of them were Ocean's Eleven and Back to the Future, but the other ones I had were Apollo 13, The Big Lebowski, and Meet the Parents, which is probably the most underrated comedy of all time.
0: All right, up next, another awesome episode of Survivor Winners at War. And I I actually cheered when the second person of the episode got voted out. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes.
1: Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff He's Brett. taking a quick look now on what's coming to home video. You have a brother in the 2nd Battalion. Yes, sir. They're walking into a trap. Your orders are to deliver a message calling off tomorrow's attack. If you fail, we will lose 1,600 men, your brother among them. We need to keep moving. Come on. There's only one way this war ends. No,
0: no, no. Last man standing.
1: 1917 was uh, well not as big a winner at the Oscars as everyone thought it would be, but it won several Oscars, and both Couch Potatoes give it the highest recommendation. That's out on Blu-ray and DVD on Tuesday, along with the horror remake of The Grudge. And then, Brett, the interesting stuff is coming to digital HD, and some of it's already out. It came out on the 20th on Friday. The Hunt, The Invisible Man, and Emma, which... Two weeks ago, were movies you would have had to pay for to see in theater.
0: Yeah, that's right, and I think this is in response as well to the fact that movie theaters are closed. I think those some of those yep. might be Universal movies. So yeah, I think we're going to be seeing a lot more of this uh, with movies going to streaming or digital very quickly. And I think and I remember seeing a tweet uh, last week when they, when there was t- when movie. Uh, when the release dates, sorry, when the release dates yeah. were being pushed back, someone said this is something that could fundamentally change movies forever, like something that could completely not destroy this industry, but change everything. And I am kind of wondering if this is going to lead to the end of the movie theater. Obviously, the health crisis is of vastly more importance than or more import than whether or not movie theaters will survive, but I'm curious to see if the movie theaters can recover
1: once this is all said and done. So... Yeah, it's one of a million questions coming up down the pike, right?
0: Yeah, but we don't want to spend too much time talking about COVID-19. I know that... (laughs) <laughs> That's it. you can't turn anywhere today these days without talking about that we're here to provide you with a distraction we like talking about the distractions that are on our television and the one that we have both been just loving this season and we, we never, we, we talk about it often over the years but never on a weekly basis but it's just been so good we gotta tell you about the latest episode of Survivor Winners at War and spoiler alert
1: alright, I'll read the votes
0: First vote. Denise does not count. Denise does not count. Denise does not count. Denise does not count. count. One vote left. Eighth person voted out of Survivor Winners at War. Sandra. Yes! 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 That was my exact reaction when I was watching this on TV. I couldn't believe it happened, because Sandra, (laughs) she's won it twice, and I don't know why she's allowed to stay in the game as long as she does, but Denise, she played a shrewd, just a shrewd game, and got rid of the mighty Sandra, so I was so excited. Jeff, what was your reaction?
1: Oh, I was the same, uh, and and I like I like Sandra. I like watching her play just because it's such a weird style where she's just so bold about and just upfront about. It's like, man, so long as it's not me, I don't care which one of you goes. And then they just, like you said, they just keep her around. It's like, what is wrong with you people? So when they were reading the votes, I was thinking, I was like, if Denise didn't vote for Sandra, she's an idiot because this is this is like a clear open shot, and especially. Denise knew it was a clear open shot because she played that second idol for Jeremy as well which ended up you know, being a burnt idol but, but Denise knew that if she wrote Sandra's name down Sandra would go home and that's exactly what happened and I got Denise in our work pool so the deeper Denise goes the better for me and now that she's pulled off this big move if she does get all the way to the end uh, it might be the difference of whether or not she wins or loses the two million dollars, and whether or not I win or lose like the twenty-five dollars at work.
0: Yeah, and you, with uh, that second idol, that or not, uh, was it idol nullifier? Or no, what did she play for Jeremy? It was,
1: know, a, it, it was a proper idol. It, it was, was an idol. idol, yeah,
0: sorry. I'm getting the the advantages mixed up They're Idol nullifiers yeah. or the idols or whatever. Uh, Jeremy had a, an advantage in his pocket where he could just leave tribal council, but <laughs> uh, he didn't play that. But when she played it for Jeremy and turned out didn't need it, I think maybe she was actually being smart because I thought, well, that was stupid, but... Maybe she she was actually buying his loyalty because he was willing to get rid of her, right? And I think she probably knew that, but she also knew that she needs allies and maybe trusts him enough to try to keep him back in the fold. So, yeah, she really impressed me this week. And getting rid of Sandra was amazing. And then Parvati going home too, like Boston Rob's gone, Parvati and Sandra, the mighty, have fallen.
1: Yeah, I mean, these old timers are clearly maybe not up for the cutthroat style of some of the newer players, which I love though. And when you get a Survivor all-star cast, it often shows that the, the people who have, have been the big deal in the past aren't really as big a deal as they thought quieter player stepping into the spotlight that's what can make it so fun i mean rupert got multiple chances to play this game and he really biffed on most of them so as much as people were rupert fans he never really really played very well and look at like denise is uh, sort of an under the radar player pulled off this big move a couple of weeks ago michelle made that power move against ethan even uh, this week nick uh going up against Parvati, even though he, you know, like basically professed his love for her, he still voted against her. So uh, some of these players that people think maybe don't deserve to be there are really proving themselves this, this season.
0: Well, and I think, too, it speaks to the mystique that some of these players have, right? Like Boston Rob, Sandra, and Parvati, these aren't just contestants on this that show. They are legends of Survivor, and these other winners are smart enough to recognize that, hey, these are big threats and we got to get rid of them but the fact that they were able to stay in the game as long as they did also I think speaks to their longevity and the fact that they can still weasel their way through like if I were I would like to think if I were playing that game I would automatically vote for them first but who knows what it's like once you're actually there on the island but hey that's all the time we've got once again Jeff was broadcasting at home I'm back in the studio hopefully it sounded okay I'm Brett he's Jeff we are the couch potatoes and remember if it requires getting up off the couch don't bother